For over 50 years, people have relied on Village Green Apothecary to give them individualized nutrition, pharmacy, and healthy living products. Village Green provides you with the kind of personalized help and attention that mass market pharmacies have long ago forgotten. You can depend on us for knowledge, experience, product selection, customer service, and a smile. Visit Village Green in Bethesda at 5415 West Cedar Lane or call us at 301-530-0800 or go to our website at myvillagegreen.com. We're here to help you. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Essentials of Healthy Living here on AM 1500, brought to you by the Village Green Apothecary. I am your host for today, Dr. Kevin Passero. Thank you all for tuning in. We're here every Sunday from 10 to 11 a.m. Don't forget to tune in next week as we alternate hosting with my wonderful co-host Dana Lake. She'll be here next week doing another great show. So very excited to have you all here. Of course, we've got a special guest that we're going to be talking with on the phone today, discussing um, something that a lot of people talk about, that a lot of people come into my office for. We're going to be talking about skin issues, um, which is a big one, you know, and I, I always tell patients, you know, my general philosophy on skin issues has, has been such. It is oftentimes the thing that's the biggest concern for the person walking in. But from my standpoint, it's of somewhat of the least concern if they're coming in with a skin issue to some degree. And I'll, I'll explain why it has to do with the fact that, you know, we have all of these different systems in our body. And sometimes when somebody's manifesting with just a topical skin issue, it's almost a healthy expression from the body and putting some of the inflammation and dysfunction on something on the outside, away from the vital organs out on the skin. And so while it drives people crazy, they hate their skin issues because people can see it and it's embarrassing and it may be somewhere visible on their legs or their arms that's visible in the summertime or on their face or somewhere on their body. It drives them absolutely crazy. If that's one of the only things they're coming in for me for, I'm just like, oh man, it's on your, your body's doing a great job. You know, it's kind of putting this inflammation away from some of the more vital organs. And you can see this progression, or I've seen it in children, you know, kids are born, a lot of babies develop uh, atopy, which is basically like eczema or psoriasis-like conditions, more like eczema, topical um, allergenic-like conditions. And then they go to the doctors, and the doctors oftentimes just want to suppress the symptoms. They give the parents steroid creams, and they put the steroid creams on. The skin clears, and then you see a higher incidence of things like asthma or other things that are more internal. It's like you're almost driving this expression of inflammation that the body's putting on one of its less vital organs or farther away from these vital organs. You're suppressing it deeper into the system. But we're going to be talking about, because skin issues are a sign of some sort of internal inflammation or imbalance or really the body expressing some sort of state of, of you know, dis-ease, it is an important issue to address. And it's not that I ignore it, but I look at it in sort of the whole hierarchy of, of health. And today we're going to be talking with Dr. Eric Nagar about different things that contribute skin, to skin issues. Before I read his bio and introduce him to the show, I want to mention to everybody, our show is sponsored by the Village Green Apothecary, and we're very thankful for their commitment to creating a radio program for education. They do have their big year and sale now through December 31st, which is 35% off of all Pathway products. Uh, 25% off of all other supplements and 20% off of body care products. So they've got a huge selection of different products and a great staff to help you guide you through it. Now is a great time to stock up 
on products with their year end and sale. So Dr. Nager is a functional medicine physician who is opening his practice at Belcara Health, which is in Baltimore, in January of 2019. After over 20 years as an emergency physician, he was felt compelled to pursue his passion of finding the root cause of illness in his patients. He pursued a fellowship in anti-aging, metabolic, and functional medicine with the American Academy of Anti-Aging, A4M. He is now board-certified in anti-aging and regenerative medicine. Dr. Nigger considers functional medicine to be his Friday night essence, and when he is not engaged in learning all he can to help his patients, he is spending time with his wife and his two homeschooled children. He also enjoys Olympic lifting, running in Spartan races, and training with his old SWAT team. Got quite a quite a bio there. Thanks, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So a SWAT guy, emergency physician, turned hippie holistic doctor. I love it. <laughs> I guess that's one way to put it. I know. Um, it's been an exciting ride. That's really cool. Tell us a little bit about your background. I, I you know, brief bio, but if you want to tell us a little bit about your, your training, I mean, honestly, the evolution of, of people coming through that process of a more traditional emergency-based medicine, you know, and then moving into more of this holistic realm, obviously we're seeing more and and more of that as doctors really evaluate and think about what am I doing for these patients at the end of each day. A lot of doctors end up deciding that they want to take a different route to approaching health. And it's meaningful to me because it validates sort of this movement towards more holistic medicine um, away from it being a trend, but really it from being, you know, I was a doctor that worked in a traditional setting for 20 years and sort of decided that I needed to do something different. And, you know, to me, it's always a very powerful, compelling and valid story um, for somebody like myself who just picked that route from the very beginning. So we'd, I'd love to, for you to just share with us, you know, how your evolution came to be more one rooted in functional medicine and integrative naturopathic care. Sure. So uh, like you alluded to, I've been an emergency physician for a little over 20 years now, finished my residency back in 1997 and uh, just absolutely loved emergency medicine, love the emergency department. And, uh, Probably about five years ago, if you had if you had asked me if I would be going in this uh, path of direction, I probably uh, would have thought you were crazy. But uh, it was like many people, there's sometimes little baby steps that lead you in a direction that you never intended to go in. Uh, I remember uh, talking with some folks about naturopathic physicians, and in Western medicine, we we really don't know anything about what what you guys do. And I know that you're a naturopathic physician, and uh, I was naturally curious. Uh, at, at exploring some of these things. I've always been an enthusiast of health and nutrition and trying to better my own health uh, throughout my life. And so I figured it would be kind of interesting to visit a naturopath. And so I did that, and it was a very enlightening experience. Uh, at that point, they had not been licensed in Maryland to do diagnosis, but they could still do um, an interview with you and, and make some recommendations. The, uh, the recommendations, one of the interesting things I came away with was uh, using curcumin which was something that we know nothing about in Western medicine. And, and, and those of you uh, who are familiar with it know it as turmeric or curcumin, using it for pain and inflammation. And uh, I had some lower back pain at the time, and I was also the uh, tactical physician for the SWAT team at the time and decided to give it a whirl because that was what the naturopathic physician had recommended. Well, I try everything on myself first, uh, self, self-experimentation. That's how we do a lot of this and found that it was uh, fairly miraculous at taking care of lower back pain and some of the other aches and pains. And when I saw that it worked on myself and some family members, I, uh, I gave it to some of the police officers that I worked with. And uh, if you've ever worked with cops, they are some of the most skeptical, 
folks who will ever encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they looked at me a little bit weird and cross-eyed with uh, coming to them with this, and I got called a witch doctor and all kinds of other funny names. And, uh, you know, kind of a funny thing happened. After a couple of weeks, they'd approach me on the side and kind of whisper to me, uh, hey, where can I get some of that? Mm-hmm. And I found that it was actually having a positive impact. But these guys are tactical athletes. Uh, they're constantly uh, in need of, of something for pain relief because they're injuring their backs, their knees, because of the, the nature of the work that they do, the heavy loads they have to bear. And, uh, and I found that it was highly successful. And I said, well, you know, maybe, there, maybe there's something to this that, that I haven't learned about in medical school. So I continued on the journey and then uh, visited uh, an acupuncturist. Another thing that we learned nothing about in medical school, decided to go uh, try acupuncture. And uh, this was after my wife had been seen by a traditional neurologist for migraines and for headaches and uh, went to a neurologist who practiced acupuncture and he applied some acupressure band-aids to some pressure points on her body and her headache went away. And when I sent another patient to the neurologist, he did the same thing. And after two patients, uh, having the exact same success sort of convinced me to try it out as well. And I found that uh, it was very successful in relieving back pain, neck pain, and a number of other things. So it sort of opened my eyes to alternative medicine. And uh, I was fortunate because, quite frankly, as someone who went through a traditional medical school, we're not exposed to any of this. And you sort of uh, get very, very, very tunnel-visioned in on your type of medicine Mm -hmm. and not realizing that there are other options that are out there uh, that, could be very beneficial to yourself and to your patients. Uh, like anything, you know, I want to make sure that this was rooted in literature. So started doing research on it and found that there is quite a bit of medical literature that supports a lot of the things that are done outside of the traditional scope of uh, medicine. And that's sort of what led me into pursuing a, uh, a new career, a second life, so to speak, in medicine and in integrative medicine and pursuing a fellowship down that track. That's great. That's a great personal story, and a lot of people, you know, it starts with a personal story and a personal journal journey of healing, you know, and it's um, that's great that you were open-minded enough to, to reach out and now have an education and are sort of, you know, another resource for people to get really good, well-curated care from that type of model because the reality is, is you know, few and far between. You know, most people, if they're going to go to a doctor's office, they're not going to get that kind of information. You can sure get it on the internet and from other places, but it's important to have well-trained physicians that are overseeing and administering this type of care and providing people with solutions. So that's, that's fantastic. So, um, you know, in the first, you know, little intro here, I talked a little bit about skin and skin issues and talked a little bit about it with food allergies. We've only got a couple more minutes left in the segment, but if we want to sort of start segueing in, you can, you know, give us your thoughts about this topic and what we might cover as we move through the show. Absolutely. I'll give you a little bit of a teaser. As you, as you alluded to, a lot of times it's personal stories that sort of drive our, our journey. And uh, I'll give you a quick, quick little story about how this became a personal interest of mine and, and will be a very large part of my practice when it, uh, when it opens up. Uh, so I have a, a daughter who's 10 years old, and she's had eczema since she was a little girl. Probably first time we noticed it was maybe five, six years of age. And like every traditionally trained emergency physician and Western medicine physician, we're always taught that the, uh, the first thing that you do for eczema is uh, treat it like dry skin and make sure that you moisturize. And if it doesn't go away, you moisturize again. And if that doesn't work, pick a different moisturizer. 
And you continue down that path until you have to start using steroids. And the steroids start out as creams, ointments, and then unfortunately progress to oral steroids to help suppress the reaction. This is traditionally what we're taught. Well, I tried that out with my daughter. Uh, we um, went down this route of moisturizing, and as the years went on, her eczema continued and unfortunately got worse. And there's really nothing worse than, uh, than holding your little girl's hand and feeling it with the, uh, the texture of sandpaper and knowing that it's uncomfortable for her and knowing that despite all of your training that there's nothing that you can do for it until you discover that, wait a second, there is something you can do for it and something that we didn't even realize because this wasn't in our training. And had it not been for my training in integrative medicine and understanding food allergies and their impact on some of these skin ailments, uh, I would never have come up with a, a treatment and a solution to get her feeling better. So we can certainly talk more about that after the break. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a great lead-in. So let's take a break, and when we come back, you can talk to us about you know the general principles because I'm sure that the principles you applied for helping with your daughter's case are you know general principles that we can apply across the board for many different uh, skin issues. So it's a great lead-in to have a personal story like that, and you can share with us if you're comfortable more about how her case developed and then about how you know that has taught you about what we're going to do with other patients with skin issues because they are. They are tricky, and um, but if you know how to navigate them properly, they can be very, very successfully managed. So this is Dr. Kevin Passero with the Essentials of Healthy Living here on AM1500, and we're going to be back right after these words. Solgar Number no. 7 can help you feel the difference. Solgar Number no. 7 actually shows improvement in joint comfort within seven days. Now you can start to get back on track fast and pursue the activities you love. Solgar Number no. 7 is a breakthrough in joint care with no glucosamine and no chondroitin. The advanced bioactives in Solgar Number no. 7 help Help to increase flexibility, mobility, and range of motion within seven days. One capsule once a day is all you need. When stiff joints occasionally say no, Solgar Number no. 7 says yes. Solgar Number no. 7, available at Village Green Apothecary. New from Garden of Life, Kind Organics Whole Food Multivitamins. They are the only USDA-certified, organic, non-GMO verified whole food multivitamins available. They're gluten-free, certified vegan, and feature a patent-pending clean tablet technology. Kind Organics is super clean, untreated, unadulterated, and real whole food. Kind Organics Multivitamins from Garden of Life. Be kind to your body and the earth. Kind Organics, now available at Village Green Apothecary and online at myvillagegreen.com. Pure Defense with NAC offers a unique blend of hypoallergenic nutrients and herbal extracts designed to support overall immune defense and upper respiratory health. The product features Epicor fermentate, elderberry, and N-acetyl L-cysteine, nutrients and flavonoids for enhancing first-line immune defense. Pure Defense with NAC can be found at Village Green Apothecary and online at myvillagegreen.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Staying mentally sharp means nourishing the mind as well as the body. That's why there's new Cognisure from Metagenics. Research shows that the active natural ingredient in Cognisure supports multiple mechanisms necessary for maintaining healthy cognition and a healthy brain as it ages. Cognisure is also easy to take in delicious, chewable chocolate tablets. Have a clear and bright future by maintaining mental capacity with healthy habits and Cognisure. Remember Cognisure for healthy brain aging support. Available through your healthcare professional and Village Green Apothecary. I'm Mark Isaacson, owner of Village Green Apothecary in Bethesda, the most unique pharmacy in the country. You are unique, and at Village Green, we treat you this way. At Village Green, our passion is personalization and getting the root cause of health conditions. 
guidance on foods, nutrients, and pharmaceuticals to empower you with personalized recommendations just for you. For over 50 years, customers have depended on advice from our expert team of pharmacists and clinical nutritionists. Visit Village Green in Bethesda or online at myvillagegreen.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the Essentials of Healthy Living here on AM 1500, brought to you by the Village Green Apothecary. I am your host for today, Dr. Kevin Passero. Thank you all for tuning in. I have on the phone with me today, Dr. Eric Nager. He is a uh, emergency room physician for 20 years and now has a fellowship in metabolic and functional medicine with a very reputable group, the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, A4M. And we're talking about skin issues and some different things that lead to skin conditions, common skin conditions, eczema, psoriasis are ones that are of particular concern for people and can be difficult to manage in some ways from the standpoint that uh, I know many people come into my office with some frustrations around these conditions and looking for alternatives because the traditional model usually just treats it with topical steroid creams, which for some people is acceptable, but for many people, this it can run into some significant problems. So one may be that people have a sense or a immediate understanding that this isn't curing my issue because every time I stop using this cream, it gets a little, it just comes back the way it was. Um, there are also other concerns, some people that have these uncertain areas of their body, delicate skin like the face or around the eyes, the steroid creams, the doctor will tell you flat out, you, you can't use these creams very much or we can't use them indefinitely because they'll actually create risk factors for some of these other organs like your eyes or the skin is too delicate because steroid therapy causes thinning of the skin. Um, and another scenario is that some people get to a point, and I've seen this, where the steroid creams stop working and they're having breakthrough symptoms through the steroid cream. And in addition, people can have a massive flare in their skin condition when they discontinue the steroid. It is actually worse, a worse presentation of their symptoms after discontinuation of the steroid than before they even took it. And this can create major problems and suffering for people. And then we're talking oral steroids, and then we're talking if that's not controlling it, and that has a whole other risk of side effects. These skin conditions like eczema or psoriasis can easily then transition into very powerful medications from a class of medications called the biologic drugs, which are used to suppress the immune system in, in very difficult to manage conditions like autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis or uh, Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, but also in some of these other skin issues. And these medications, while effective, carry some of the highest side effect uh, profiles that can be very dangerous with immune suppression. People can have higher risk of cancers, higher risk of life-threatening infections. It's not something that a lot of people are really comfortable doing. And here we are now talking with a medical doctor who has expertise from his own personal journey with his daughter to look at different ways in understanding how or actually why the body is manifesting with a topical inflammatory condition. And what can we do to get more to the root cause or understand other triggers and how we help people modify their lives or give them therapies to undo this inflammatory issue rather than just suppress it? So just a quick mention, Village Green's having their year-end sale from now until December 31st, so stop in. It's a great time to pick up any products that you need. Dr. Nager, you, we left off on the last segment with you telling us the story of your daughter and the uh, eczema or the, the eczema that she experienced, um, and you alluded to your journey in helping manage her condition. 
why don't you pick up where we left off with whatever thoughts you'd like to lead with? Sure. So, like I said, she had this eczema on her hands for years, and we tried all the traditional therapies, which was essentially moisturizer, moisturizing after bathing, and had absolutely no clue that it perhaps was an underlying root cause that was causing this manifestation of this, this skin disorder. Uh, it wasn't until I started going down the integrative and functional pathway in my education that I realized that food allergies probably played a very significant role in my daughter's condition as they do for probably many patients with these, uh, these issues. So after trying unsuccessfully trying uh, some skin moisturizers and some topical steroids, we actually never went to oral steroids, thankfully, uh, went down a, a pathway where we decided to find out what was the root cause. Was there an allergy? Was there a food sensitivity that was causing this? So we did some uh, lab testing on her, and uh, we discovered through some of this lab testing that she had, had sensitivities across the scale to multi multiple foods that were most likely acting as triggers. So we then uh, eliminated some of these foods and uh, did some things that we'll talk about to support her immune system and her gut, as well as some sublingual immunotherapy, also known as SLIT, to help with the condition. And then over the next course of months, uh, just eliminated the foods, which I've got to tell you, when you're allergic to uh, one food or two foods, even in adults, it can turn a full-grown adult into a crying baby when they have to give up one of their favorite foods. Understandably, if you're used to eating something your entire life and uh, all of a sudden you realize that there's a problem with wheat and now you can't have a sandwich or you have your toast for breakfast, it, uh, it carries a fairly significant emotional burden for people. Mm -hmm. To ask a, uh, uh, you know, at the time my daughter was, was nine when this all started, to give up dairy, gluten, corn, eggs, uh, that's... That's an unbelievably difficult thing to ask anybody to do, much less a nine-year-old. And she had more willpower than anybody that I know. Mm -hmm. She dutifully uh, eliminated them and gave them up. I'm not going to tell you that it was easy, but she put her mind to the fact that she wanted to get better, uh, stopped eating the offending foods that lit up on her allergy panel, and then we started her on uh, sublingual immunotherapy to help out as well. And it was a uh, fairly long journey, and uh, the eczema is not completely resolved, but it is significantly better. Mm -hmm. uh, she feels better. She feels fitter. She likes the fact that she's actually also um, looks, her physique looks more healthy because she's eliminated things that are probably unhealthy for most people, namely uh, wheat and gluten and, and uh, dairy to a certain extent. And she's, uh, she's come out the other end much improved and, and much happier uh, with, the, with the journey that we've taken down this route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it all, I mean, it's a common story. And I would say children with a lot of atopic issues or skin conditions, I tell most parents, based on my experience, that it's likely related to a food. And, you know, I think it's worth discussing what you had talked about. It is very difficult for people to modify their diet. And it seems like the foods that we're always asking people to eliminate are the foods that are most pervasive in the diet. They're the foods that people love the most. So, you know, why is it that these are the foods we have to eliminate? You know, do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. So when we talk about allergy and, and food allergies, there's, you know, you'll often see something cited like the, the great eight or the big eight. There are eight foods that are out there that represent probably 90% of the food allergies that are out there. And so when we go through these, it's peanuts, tree nuts, milk, eggs, 
wheat, and by you know definition gluten, uh, shellfish, soy, and other fish. So those are the big eight. And when you look at that list, they're very pervasive throughout uh, the diets that many of us eat here in America. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's very difficult to pick up a product from a store shelf and find that it doesn't include one of these ingredients. Yep. And then if you throw in some other things like corn, which isn't actually, you know, one of the, the big eight, but it's certainly another very common allergen, uh, you'll find it in nearly everything. Mm-hmm. And so it's very difficult to uh, trim your diet up, so to speak, and eliminate some of these, these common allergens given the nature of the processed foods that most people are used to eating. Yep. Uh, why this happens is, is uh, it, it's a sort of somewhat of a controversial subject. And there are a lot of theories. I don't think anybody knows exactly why food allergies are so pervasive these days as opposed to how things were 20, 30, 40 years ago when when you and I were kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember being in grade school and there was nobody that was allergic to really anything, much less a peanut allergy, which, you you know, today you can't can't go into a schoolroom and find uh, less than probably half a dozen kids that have a nut allergy. Yeah. Uh, So these... This has really increased quite a bit over uh, over the recent past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I know the best working theory that I've heard has to do with the the hygiene theory is what most experts sort of suggest, where we've disrupted a lot of the you know microflora interactions that we have on our skin, in our mouth, and in our gut, which is where most of our interface with our immune system occurs, and it's all of those diverse bacteria interacting with our gut cells that help you know sort of determine and properly regulate our immune responses, especially early in life when we're learning, you know, self versus non-self and we're starting to interact with the outside world. And when you go to, you know, third world countries, the hygiene's terrible, which creates all sorts of other medical problems and medical risk factors, which you don't see is hardly any allergy, even in places particularly with, you know, horrible air quality, there's very little asthma or no asthma. Um, There's virtually no food allergies and food reactivity. There's, you know, not these anaphylactic peanut allergies. It's when you move into the westernized, more hygienic worlds where we have, you know, babies being born via, uh, you know, very commonly born via C-section in these very sterile environments and hospitals, um, given multiple courses of antibiotics at early ages for you know, things that don't always need it, like ear infections, which oftentimes will resolve on their own. You know, all of these different things lead to a degradation of the microbiological diversity of the body on every level, not just the gut, but the other major microbiome centers like the skin and the mouth and the mucous membranes and all of these areas. And um, that we've learned, especially within the gut, that it's these microbes that really help to signal the cells that line our gut and the nerves, nervous system in our gut and how that interacts with our immune system. Because what an allergy is, by definition, is the body's inappropriate response to a harmless substance. And so a food allergy is your body mistakenly thinking that the food that you're eating is some sort of threat or virus or bacteria or something. And our body mounts this you know, dramatic immunological response, which creates these end symptoms, which is usually some sort of manifestation of inflammation. So in the case we're talking about, it's on the skin. Um, and it could also look like inflammation, like swelling of the lips or hives or whatever it might be for somebody. So it is very interesting to look at it. And there are a lot of theories. And I believe that some of those foods that are in that top eight, some of them make sense. Most of them, right, Dr. Nigger, they have sort of complex protein structures like gluten is a complex protein, casein and dairy products is a complex protein, the protein in egg is a complex protein. And the reality is, is that our immune system is designed 
to respond to proteins because there's usually some sort of protein on the outer surface of a virus or a bacteria that our immune system is designed to sort of identify to mount an immunological response. So some of these things like nuts have a lot of protein in them. People know this because, you know, people know things that have high protein because of the high protein crazed diets. But, you know, I mean, I always considered that as as one reason why some of these foods have so much potential for allergenicity. Would you agree with that or do you have any thoughts on that? No, no, definitely agree. Um, there's some interesting things that we can tease out from what you were saying. I, I, the hygiene hypothesis is one that, that I give a lot of credence to. And uh, I've heard that one before. And to, to interest, an interesting little side note on that, there's, there's a lot of fear that goes with that that suggests that uh, the immune system actually needs an enemy to sort of occupy itself with. Mm. And this was seen in the Mediterranean people. Uh, Dr. Michael Ruscio has done a lot of work on the gut. And he brings up interesting history from uh, the Mediterranean folks where malaria used to be a very big uh, pathogen. And unfortunately, or fortunately for them, uh, malaria uh, was eradicated through efforts getting rid of mosquitoes and anti-malarial drugs. And then the folks in the Mediterranean, specifically in, in some of the areas in Italy, no longer had this pathogen for their immune systems to deal with. And then they saw a huge spike in the increase of autoimmune disorders like multiple sclerosis. Mm. Uh, and uh, this was after the uh, the conquering of, of uh, you know, what had previously been a very mm -hmm. debilitating disease, but it was low level for these folks. Mm -hmm. And their immune systems were occupied with fighting that off. And when they had no longer had a villain to fight, it turned on the body. And, and these folks ended up developing a lot of autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. So I think there is validity to the, uh, to the, the fact that we do need some element of quote unquote dirtiness and exposure to germs and, and other uh, uh, helmets and things of that nature to give our immune systems our immune system something to do other than attacking the body. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think there's definitely credence to that. Uh, with regards to the proteins, definitely agree with that as well. Uh, another hypothesis that goes along with the proteins is that because we have problems with our guts, and everyone, I believe, has heard the term leaky gut, where you have problems with the lining of the gut and uh, the, the absorption of uh, food products across it, the, the usual course of action is, is that our digestive tract is to uh, digest the foods and break them down into smaller molecules and where they're not nearly as complex as when they come in as whole foods. The problem with the whole leaky gut hypothesis is that we're getting foods that have not been adequately broken down, introduced into our bloodstream, getting exposed to our immune system where they're then viewed as a, an invader. Uh, just like a virus or a bacteria, and then an immune system is mounted against those complex proteins and foods that have not been adequately broken down and are prematurely exposed to our bloodstream and the immune system. And as a result, uh, we get these, these this high incidence of food allergies where previously we had not seen it. So uh, what's causing leaky gut? You know, the list could go on and on, mm -hmm. everything from glyphosate, processed foods, lack of sunshine, EMS. The, the list is very, very long. Mm -hmm. But we know that there's obviously a problem with how we're digesting food, and it, that's manifested in the, the big spike in gastrointestinal illness, complaints, and food allergies. Yeah, I thought the—I interviewed Dr. Zach Bush on my radio show a couple months ago, and it was a really phenomenal interview. And if and people didn't listen to that, go to the archive section— 
on the uh, radio show homepage, if you go to villagegreen.com on the right-hand side, there's a microphone. If you click on that, it'll take you to the archive show section. That was a great show because, you know, Dr. Zach Bush is getting a lot of national notoriety and attention in the world of integrated medicine for the work that he did on the influence of glyphosate and leaky gut. And in addition, just to some of the... Um, the ways that it impacts and really destroys the, the gut barrier. And he's done some interesting in vivo and in vitro research showing the ability of this, uh, you know, pesticide herbicide that has now been used in escalating amounts since the early 90s and seems to correlate with a lot of other, you know, major health epidemics that have occurred since then and can, you know, look at his research and actually see some mechanisms that directly show that it can compromise the gut barrier. And I believe there's a multitude of, of factors, like you mentioned, Dr. Nager, that contribute to leaky gut. It's basically, if you're not treating, you're doing all these different things that are compromising the proper function of the body, you're going to get dysfunction. And, you know, the multitude of those things can lead to the dysfunction of the gut barrier. And then we run into these problems of, you know, multiple food sensitivities and food allergies. So we're out of time for this segment. When we come back from the break, Dr. Nager, I'd love to spend a little bit of time focused on, um, you know, a, the difference between a food allergy and a food sensitivity, because this issue gets hotly debated. I don't think people totally understand it. Um, there's going to be a lot of pushback or a, a lot of debate between the medical world that we live in or that you live in now versus the medical world you used to live in if you were having this conversation, let's say, with a traditional allergist. And I think that a lot of people hear food allergy and, you know, this conversation may come up with a tradition, traditional allergist. And I want them to be armed with some additional information and knowledge to fully navigate this conversation and their understanding of what we're discussing and the influence it can have on skin health. So when we come back from the break, let's tap, tackle that exciting and very interesting topic. This is Dr. Kevin Passero with The Essentials of Healthy Living. And we're going to be back right after these words. Mega Food Premium Whole Food Supplements are the only supplements crafted from scratch with farm-fresh whole foods to deliver nourishment the way nature intended. Mega Food believes Mother Nature knows best. They select only fresh whole food, harvested at the peak of ripeness, handle it gently and with care to deliver its vital essence to you in every bottle. Mega Food, from farm to tablet. Our name is our promise. For more information, visit us online at megafood.com. Zymogen is pleased to announce the arrival of Fit Food, a delicious, high-quality, functional food that's formulated to support weight management, healthy body composition, glycemic management, cardiovascular and immune health, and more. Each delicious serving of Fit Food contains 21 grams of pure New Zealand-sourced bioactive whey protein, 6 grams of fiber-immune-supporting oat beta-glucan, and additional glutamine, glycine, taurine, and M. CTs. Fit Food provides holistic support for today's active body. Learn more at Zymogen.com. Available now through your healthcare professional and Village Green Apothecary. All over the world, people are beginning to discover fish oil is one of the best secrets for unlocking great health. Thousands of studies have shown the amazing effects of these powerful omega-3s for heart health. Plus, fish oils have even been shown to balance moods and lessen anxiety. With exceptional taste, unrivaled freshness, and unsurpassed purity, nor Nordic Naturals is the easy way to get your omega-3s every day. To learn more, visit Village Green Apothecary or visit NordicNaturals.com. Nordic Naturals, committed to the planet, committed to pure and great-tasting omega oils. 
The brain requires nutrition just like the rest of the body. And this is where Gero Formula's NeuroOptimizer comes to the rescue. NeuroOptimizer is a concentrated source of nutrients needed for memory, mood, concentration, and focus. NeuroOptimizer supplies the building blocks for neurotransmitters, the chemicals that allow cells in the brain to communicate and to file away memories. NeuroOptimizer is the nutritional answer to the brain's needs. To learn more about formulas, visit Gero.com. Gero Formulas, available at Village Green Apothecary. Hi, I'm Gail Isaacson, owner of Village Green Apothecary, where we've been specializing in meeting your unique healthcare needs for over 50 years. Our passion is helping you to get to your root cause of health conditions. At Village Green Apothecary, our expert team of pharmacists and clinical nutritionists offer guidance on diet, nutrients, and pharmaceuticals to empower you with personalized recommendations just for you. Plus, we offer lab testing and nutritional consultations to optimize your health plan. Visit Village Green Apothecary in Bethesda or online at myvillagegreen.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the Essentials of Healthy Living here on AM 1500, brought to you by the Village Green Apothecary. I'm your host for today, Dr. Kevin Passero. Here we are in the third segment, getting nice and warmed up on this topic. Um, Always thankful and excited to be here on the show. Hopefully, people still get good information and knowledge from our discussions. Special guest today, Dr. Eric Nager. He is a functional medicine physician opening his practice in uh, the Bellicare Health Center, which is up in Baltimore, coming in just a month or so here in January of 2019. After over 20 years of uh, practice as an emergency physician, he has now pursued and is pursuing a career in functional medicine, integrative medicine, and is really looking at helping to support people's health from a different standpoint. And um, we're talking today about skin issues and food sensitivities. So last segment, we talked about some of the, the foods and the reasons why people develop these. I set it up in this segment. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what we mean when we say a food reaction, because, you know, I don't know if what we've all the terms we've used in the last, you know, few segments. Did we say food allergy? Did we say food sensitivity? What's the difference between an allergy and a sensitivity? Um, how are we testing for these things? Uh, what does it really mean? This is a this is an issue with I think some some gray area when you talk about it with patients because there's not a, a whole lot of education that's widespread about parsing out these issues. So, Dr. Nager, I'd love for you to share your thoughts on this topic. Sure. So the the term allergy and sensitivity are thrown around quite a bit. And it doesn't apply just to food. It could also be to environmental allergies as well. And I think what distinguishes, in my mind, the difference between the two is probably the degree of the body's reaction to the allergen. So when we look at immunology, there's two sets of uh, types of reactions. So we have the IgE reaction, which refers to a subclass of your one of your immunoglobulins, the E class. And And that's the classic allergic reaction that most of us probably think about when somebody has a quote-unquote anaphylactic or allergic reaction. The throat closes up, they get hives all over their body, uh, they can't breathe, and they have to reach for like an EpiPen or a shot of epinephrine to help reverse that. We see quite a bit of that in the emergency department, and people have reactions to everything from Mm -hmm. foods to bee stings snake venom, things of this nature will cause an anaphylactic reaction, medications, of course. And so that's something that I've dealt with all my career. The other more subtle type of reaction, which is also an allergic reaction, but presents a little bit differently, is the IgG uh, type of immune reaction. It's a much more ambiguous presentation. So uh, you don't get that sort of immediate response that you would see with the IgE 
because there it's a delayed reaction. So somebody who has an IgE reaction, typically you'll see the onset of the allergic reaction will, will happen within 30 minutes, sometimes within minutes of eating an offending food or taking a medication that the person's allergic to. With an IgG reaction, it can be delayed sometimes up to 72 hours. So somebody might have a food allergy to, say, gluten and eat it on a Monday, experience no reaction whatsoever, and then on Wednesday, it might manifest with a rash, a headache, joint pain, stomach upset. And the symptoms, because they're so far into the future and there's a bit of a time delay, the, the, the patient may not realize that there is a correlation between what they ate and the symptoms that are manifesting. And so you can easily have somebody that has uh, arthritis pain, and they may just write it off to the fact that they've got old joints, but never put two and two together and realize that they're eating a ton of wheat, which they may have a food allergy to, and that's driving some of the inflammation in their joints and presenting with some of these sort of atypical uh, symptoms. So Food sensitivity, food allergies, they're all pretty much uh, euphemisms for the same thing. I think uh, it's, it's perfectly fine to call them allergies. What you run into in restaurants many times is if you go in and you say, I have a food allergy to X, whatever that might be, dairy, eggs, wheat, the first thing that they ask you is, you know, does, do you have celiac? And, and the reason that they're asking you that is the celiac is uh, a completely different animal altogether. That's a genetically based problem with regards to gluten, and uh, that is uh, something that if the individual eats the gluten, they're going to end up in the hospital due to a very severe reaction to the, to the gluten that they, uh, that they have from a genetic standpoint. Uh, this is different. Um, you know, and when we go in with my daughter and we're telling folks at a restaurant um, that she has a food issue, we usually call it a food sensitivity, and we go out of our way to tell them that it's not anaphylactic mm-hmm. uh, because they end up taking sometimes very drastic steps. And for some patients, those tests may be warranted, but uh, it, it, it comes down to, I think, the degree of the, uh, the reaction to the body. Yeah, so those are two, you know, great explanation of two different mechanisms in which the immune system can respond to something to create some sort of inflammatory or immune reaction. And it is true, those IgG-delayed hypersensitivity reactions are very difficult to track symptom-wise. And we know, um, you know, just by looking at research that's been done, anything that, if there's more than like of a three-day gap between when you eat something and when you react, it's impossible to figure it out, even with detailed food journaling. It just becomes way too messy. You know, the issue that I think people really need to also understand is that just the semantics can sometimes get confusing because in the and, and, you know, I'll let you speak of this as a medical doctor, you know, from more the inside, the traditional approaches from allergy clinics and, and MD trained allergists or more traditional allergists, they really only will use the word allergy when it relates to an IgE reaction. So patients come in oftentimes very confused you know, saying, oh, my daughter has this condition or my child has this condition or I have this condition and I went to my allergist and I had a bunch of food testing done and they said I didn't react to anything. And it was extensive testing, doctor. You know, I had the skin prick and I had blood tests and it said I didn't have an allergy to egg or to dairy or or to wheat. And now here I am telling that same person, not that they were wrong, but, you know, well, we missed something. And it's a little hard for people to get their heads around it because the traditional allergist is supposed to be where the buck stops and the experts and all things allergy, yet they don't ever test for IgG-mediated reactions, right? No, absolutely. It's so confusing. The IgG, yeah, it is confusing. And 
And the literature is confusing as well. Um, I've, you know, I've done extensive research on this, and I found literature going in both directions, and uh, some that support the use of testing for it, and others that feel that it doesn't have any validity. And I think, you know, unfortunately, you know, sometimes we have to go with anecdotal evidence, yeah. and that's clearly not as strong when you're when you're dealing with double-blind, placebo-controlled prospective trials. Those are clearly the gold standard when you're dealing with this. But much of the much of the literature out there isn't even uh, you know, those types of studies, it's just right. anecdote going the other way, saying that it's not something that's helped in the past. Yeah. And when you go to a traditional ENT or allergist, you, you will find that uh, there seems to be a fair amount of um, bias against doing this type of testing, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't really give it too much credence. And I think a lot of that comes down to that either it's something that they haven't had a lot of training in, or they find that it's very difficult to pin it down. Yeah. Uh, when I approached a colleague of mine, a very close friend of mine, about, about this type of testing, because he's, he's an ear, nose, and throat specialist who does allergy testing in his office, uh, he said that it works very well when he tests for uh, uh, environmental allergies, things like pollen and trees and things like that. He, but he said, and to quote him, he goes, it's too difficult to deal with the folks that have the food allergies. It's just too difficult to sort all of that out. Yeah. And so he doesn't mm-hmm. even test for it in his office. Yeah. And it, yeah, go ahead. It's just it's just very difficult because since that's unfortunately the root cause of so many of the uh, so many of the issues that we're dealing with today, that to not test for it in somebody that has eczema or asthma or uh, some of these other disorders is uh, sort of not doing a service to your patient to try to figure out that underlying reason why they're reacting this way. Yeah, it is. It is, and it, I will also, you know, as somebody that does testing for. IgE-mediated reactions in my practice and have done it for, you know, 15 years since I started practicing, I can sometimes see where they're they're coming from because it is difficult to get always 100% accuracy with results. And the methodology in measuring IgG-mediated reactions has varied over the years. And sometimes there always is room for false positives and false negatives. And I will say the same holds true for traditional allergy testing and IgE-mediated allergies. And I know this because there's I'm sure people out there listening to this radio show right now that let's say they have a spring allergy every year where they know when the trees pollinate, they get horrible allergies. They may have been tested and nothing came up. You know, or or they don't have any allergies that they know of, but they got tested and it showed they had a horrible tree allergy. But they say, I don't I don't even feel any. Like, I don't have any allergies. So there can always be some false positives and false negatives. The way that I boil it down to is that the immune system is incredibly complex. And so to, you know, be able to predict every single immunological or inflammatory reaction that occurs from exposure to a potential allergen, I don't think we have necessarily accurate enough testing on any side of things. Now, with that said, testing can be very useful and I use it very readily in my practice. But in some people, um, we may just do a trial elimination, which is, in my opinion, the absolute best therapy if you can if you can do it, because that's you eliminate the foods and you see how people feel. And sometimes people have miraculous benefit and you'd be surprised about what re-triggers their symptoms when you reintroduce it. You know, so it is a bit, um, you know, confusing and it is a bit uh, difficult to navigate. The other problem is that the IgG testing sometimes isn't always covered by insurance, like the traditional allergy testing IgE. So that puts a little bit more weight on a clinician's decision to ask a patient to move forward with the testing methodology if there's going to be an out-of-pocket expense. You know, so all all things to consider uh, in the whole grand scheme of things, I think that it doesn't make it 
confusing enough that it just says, oh, those folks are too difficult to deal with. It means that you need to be under the guidance of somebody who's experienced to be able to help you decipher which tests are useful, how to interpret the results, and how to put all of that together into a treatment plan that may actually improve your condition. So when we come back from the break, Dr. Nigger, I would love to just start getting into some of the treatment options. You talked about sublingual immunotherapy. Most people haven't really heard of that. They've only heard of allergy shots. Um, and I think that, you know, sublingual immunotherapy needs to be discussed. It's a validated way of treating allergies, highly utilized in Europe and other countries, not so much in the U.S. for reasons we may or may not want to get into in the next segment. But we, and we can talk about other important therapies that can be done to sort of help with food sensitivities or food allergies and specifically with skin conditions. So this is Dr. Kevin Passero with The Essentials of Healthy Living, and we're going to be back right after these words. Solgar number no. 7 can help you feel the difference. Solgar number no. 7 actually shows improvement in joint comfort within 7 days. Now you can start to get back on track fast and pursue the activities you love. Solgar number no. 7 is a breakthrough in joint care with no glucosamine and no chondroitin. The advanced bioactives in Solgar number no. 7 help to increase flexibility, mobility, and range of motion within 7 days. One capsule once a day is all you need. When stiff joints occasionally say no, Solgar number no. 7 says yes. Solgar number no. 7 Available at Village Green Apothecary. New from Garden of Life, Kind Organics Multivitamins. That's right, certified organic. Made with the highest quality standards. Uncooked, untreated, unadulterated. Non-GMO certified, vegan, and gluten-free. Kind Organics Multivitamins from Garden of Life. Be kind to your body and the earth. Kind Organics. Now available at Village Green Apothecary and online at myvillagegreen.com. Pure Defense with NAC offers a unique blend of hypoallergenic nutrients and herbal extracts designed to support overall immune defense and upper respiratory health. The product features Epicor fermentate, elderberry, and N-acetyl-L-cysteine, nutrients and flavonoids for enhancing first-line immune defense. Pure Defense with NAC can be found at Village Green Apothecary and online at myvillagegreen.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Some things are hard to stomach, and life doesn't stop for occasional immune challenges or intestinal distress. ProBalarti from Metagenics offers a new targeted probiotic approach for intestinal support. Help maintain control while traveling or as a follow-up to antibiotic therapy to support intestinal flora for healthy intestinal function. ProBalarti provides ID-certified probiotic strains suggested by research to enhance certain aspects of immune function in addition to promoting a healthy balance of intestinal microflora. ProBalarti is the go-to probiotic for patients on the go. Get it today. Available through your healthcare professional and Village Green Apothecary. Have you ever wondered why the cold and flu season occurs in the fall and winter months? One theory is because of a decrease in sun exposure, our bodies don't make enough vitamin D, which is essential to proper immune function. That's why medical experts recommend supplementing with vitamin D. Thorne Research's vitamin D products are made from pure vitamin D with no preservatives or unnecessary ingredients added. Support your immune system with Thorne's vitamin D1000 and D5000. These and other immune-supporting formulas are always available at Village Green. Welcome back, everybody, to the Essentials of Healthy Living here on AM1500, brought to you by the Village Green Apothecary. 
Don't forget to stop in. The big year-end sale runs now through December 31st. It's their biggest sale of the year, so a great time to go in, explore some of these exciting therapies we've talked about, and uh, stock up on any things that you normally use. We've been talking with Dr. Eric Nager. He is a functional medicine physician opening up a practice in Baltimore, Maryland at the Bellicar Health Center starting in just a couple months of January 2019. Um, So if you're interested in learning more about him, you can check out uh, the website there and learn more about him and his services. And we've been discussing food sensitivities, food allergies that relate to skin health. So we've covered a lot of ground, um, your background, you know, food allergies, the top ones, some skin conditions it relates to. Um, Let's talk about testing. We talked about last time. Let's talk about treatment and what we can actually do moving forward for people that are looking for a solution for their um, skin issue. And when we say skin issues, you know, we talked about your daughter's eczema, but if there's any other conditions that you commonly see tied to these issues that you think are worth mentioning, we should mention them. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So who do we test? Uh, Anybody that has a GI issue, so somebody that's had uh, constipation, diarrhea, bloating in gas, uh, somebody who we might want to consider because they're certainly someone who might be reacting to foods. Those with seasonal allergies, chronic sinus issues, folks with autoimmune disease like Hashimoto's, lupus, MS, asthma, up to 70, excuse me, 65% of all asthma is due to food allergy. So it's, it's to me as a traditional physician, having never seen a patient tested for food allergies with asthma is, uh, is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, chronic inflammation, joint pain, uh, snoring and sleep apnea, sometimes you can get edema in the airways as a result of uh, food allergies or sensitivities. And then other folks, you know, with other sorts of things like uh, some of the, the, the gut-brain connection, when you think about this with headache, mood, anxiety, and depression, could easily be triggered by uh, certain foods and food allergies. So how do we approach this? So if we, we identify someone who fits into one of these categories, we would think about doing some blood testing on them, and we would test both the IgE and IgG panels for food and environmental uh, uh, antigens. And what you'll sometimes see is that folks who are allergic to environmental stimulus, such as pollen, dust mites, things like that, will also have cross-reactivity with certain foods. So it's important to, to look at both because you want to sort of hit all of those angles and decrease the immune response to all of those allergens. Once we get the lab test back, it gives us a roadmap. And like you alluded to, it is not 100% uh, black and white when you look at this. I think a better analogy is it's gray on gray. Uh, and you sort of just take that and use it as a roadmap. So the things that light up on the panels, we would concentrate on first as uh, things that we would want to eliminate from the diet and try to decrease the immune uh, system's response to those antigens. And we can do that in a number of ways. Probably the easiest way and the cheapest way and the quickest way is an elimination diet. And what that involves is identifying the foods that are uh, the issue for that individual, and that could either be from the person knowing that they have a certain reaction every time they eat that food or by using the roadmap from the blood testing that we're doing and then picking those foods and eliminating them. Generally, you need to have them out of the diet for a fairly significant period of time, and depending on the literature that you read, it usually is somewhere between four and six weeks at a minimum that you want to take that out of the person's diet, and that gives the immune system a rest from that particular antigen and also uh, allows them to have sort of a reset. And so what you would do is take take those foods out, and then when you hit that four, five, six-week mark, slowly introduce them back into the diet one food at a time. And what you're looking for is 
whether or not that person has any symptoms related to that particular food. If they have a particular symptom that they can identify, uh, what we do is we, we would have them continue to eliminate that, and they can do that indefinitely. So something like wheat or gluten, which probably isn't healthy for most people anyway, we would encourage them to avoid that. If we uh, wanted to reintroduce it and go very slowly, we would want to look for delayed reactions. Again, this is not an anaphylactic reaction where they're going to have hives and throat closing up. We're going to give them a small quantity of that food, and we're going to wait up to three days to see what happens. And they're only going to try it once, and they're only going to do a little bit of it. And then we can introduce a little bit more three or four days later and see what happens. And that's how you slowly reintroduce foods back. From a medical standpoint and a therapy standpoint, we can also use something called sublingual immunotherapy. And what that is is it's not totally dissimilar to the allergy shot that everybody is probably familiar with if they're allergists. What it is, instead of getting a shot, you're actually using drops and you're putting them sublingual, which means underneath the tongue. Why is this effective? Well, Part of the reason that we have an allergic reaction is because eosinophils, which is a component of our body's immune system, react with food particles. Interestingly, the tongue does not have eosinophils under it, and so we can actually absorb these antigens without creating an immune uh, reaction and, and, and the typical symptoms that that person may have. So you can give them very, very small diluted quantities of the allergen in question, give it to them twice a day, and we would have them on this therapy anywhere from two to three years. So it is a fairly lengthy process, but it's painless. It's very easy to comply with. They can do it from the comfort of their home, and it can give them relief and decrease the immune response that they have to these various allergens. That's a great summary of a lot of different things. I would say, you know, the sublingual immunotherapy is a great therapy. It is, you know, clinically validated, correct? Absolutely. Yep. And so, you know, the thing is, is that even most allergists, even though the, most of them are using injections, we're seeing that actually some allergists are actually converting into sublingual ther immunotherapy simply because it's far more convenient and there's, uh, and, and patients like it, quite yeah. frankly, and it's effective. Well, allergy shots are, you know, people have to go into the allergist's office sometimes twice a week for an injection, you know, and so it becomes a little bit of a burden. The sublingual immunotherapy can safely be administered at home. And I thought that, you know, there's very good literature in Europe as far as its efficacy. And, it, you know, it was cleared by the FDA in the United States as an effective treatment for the management of immunotherapy for the management of allergies. The elimination diet, uh, you know, that you discussed, I think definitely does work well. It can be a little bit messy for most people because it's hard to eliminate foods that you've been eating your entire life. But if people can comply and they have the right guidance, I think it is uh, probably the best way. And as you talked about, you know, four to six weeks of elimination is ideal. In my clinical experience, if there is a strong food reaction, oftentimes you'll start to see an improvement. Sometimes within a couple of weeks, it can happen much, much faster. Um, but it is important to wait that full amount of time until, um, you know, to make a full assessment of, of whether or not it helped. So, Dr. Nager, we are just running out of time. Thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Um, how can people learn more about your pra new practice that's about to open? Uh, so I'll be with a group called Belcara Health, and that's spelled B-E-L-C-A-R-A, Health. And you can look us up on the Internet. We're located in Baltimore, and I'll be accepting new patients in January. Excellent. Well, good luck with your newest venture, and so excited to have you, you know, spreading the word around health and, and wellness. So thanks again for being with us, and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Dr. Kevin Passero wishing you all the best of health until next time. Take care.
Did you know at Village Green Apothecary, we offer everyday savings on top quality nutritional supplements, including herbs and homeopathic remedies, plus personal care products and more. That's right. In addition to our big sales events, you can save up to 20% on most everything you need for a healthier lifestyle. Today and every day at Village Green, we care about our customers. We've been providing the best nutrition and healthy living products for over 50 years. Stop by Village Green Apothecary in Bethesda at 5415. West Cedar Lane or visit our website at myvillagegreen.com.